Chapter Six, Part Two of Miss Lulu Bet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Lulu Bet by Zona Gale. Chapter Six, Part Two, September. Lying awake some time after midnight, Lulu heard the telephone ring. She heard Dwight's concerned, "Is that so?" and his cheerful, "Be right there." Grandma Gates was sick. She heard him tell Ina. In a few moments, he ran down the stairs. Next day, they told how Dwight had sat for hours that night holding Grandma Gates so that her back would rest easily and she could fight for her faint breath. The kind fellow had only about two hours of sleep the whole night long. Next day, there came a message from that woman who had brought up Dwight. Made him what he was. He often complacently accused her. It was a note on a postal card. She had often written a few lines on a postal card to say that she had sent the maple sugar, or could Ina get her some samples? Now she wrote a few lines on a postal card to say that she was going to die with cancer. Could Dwight and Ina come to her while she was still able to visit, if he was not too busy? Nobody saw the pity and the terror of that postal card. They stuck it up by the kitchen clock to read over from time to time, and before they left, Dwight lifted the griddle of the cooking stove and burned the postal card. And before they left, Lulu said, "Dwight, you can't tell how long you'll be gone." Of course not. How should I tell? No. And that letter might come while you're away. Conceivably, letters do come while a man's away. Dwight, I thought if you wouldn't mind if I opened it. Opened it. Yes, you see, it'll be about me mostly. I should have said that it'll be about my brother mostly. But you know what I mean. You wouldn't mind if I did open it. But you say you know what'll be in it. So I did know till you. I've got to see that letter, Dwight, and so you shall, but not till I show it to you, my dear Lulu. You know how I hate having my mail interfered with. She might have said, "Small souls always make a point of that." She said nothing. She watched them set off and kept her mind on Ina's thousand injunctions. Don't let Di see much of that Bobby Larkin and Lulu. If it occurs to her to have Mr. Cornish come up to sing, of course you ask him. You might ask him to supper, and don't let Mother overdo. And Lulu, now do watch Monona's handkerchief. The child will never take a clean one if I'm not here to tell her. She breathed injunctions to the very step of the bus. In the bus, Dwight leaned forward. See that you play post office squarely, Lulu. He called and threw back his head and lifted his eyebrows. In the train, he turned tragic eyes to his wife. Ina, he said, "It's Ma, and she's going to die. It can't be." Ina said, "But you're going to help her, Dwight. Just being there with her." It was true that the mere presence of the man would bring a kind of fresh life to that worn frame. Tact and wisdom and love would speak through him and minister. 
Toward the end of their week's absence, the letter from Ninian came. Lulu took it from the post office when she went for the mail that evening, dressed in her dark red gown. There was no other letter, and she carried that one letter in her hand all through the streets. She passed those who were surmising what her story might be, who were telling one another what they had heard. But she knew hardly more than they. She passed Cornish in the doorway of his little music shop and spoke with him, and there was the letter. It was so that Dwight's foster-mother's postal card might have looked on its way to be mailed. Cornish stepped down and overtook her. "'Oh, Miss Lulu, I've got a new song or two. She said abstractedly, "'Do, any night, tomorrow night, could you?' It was as if Lulu were too preoccupied to remember to be ill at ease. Cornish flushed with pleasure, said that he could indeed. "'Come for supper,' Lulu said. "'Oh, could he? Wouldn't that be? Well, say!' Such was his acceptance. He came for supper, and Di was not at home. She had gone off in the country with Jenny and Bobby, and they merely did not return. Mrs. Bett and Lulu and Cornish and Monona supped alone. All were at ease now that they were alone, especially Mrs. Bett was at ease. It became one of her young nights, her alive and lucid nights. She was there. She sat in Dwight's chair, and Lulu sat in Ina's chair. Lulu had picked flowers for the table, a task coveted by her but usually performed by Ina. Lulu had now picked Sweet William and had filled a vase of silver gilt taken from the parlor. Also Lulu had made ice cream. "'I don't see what Di can be thinking of,' Lulu said. "'It seems like asking you under false—' She was afraid of pretenses and ended without it. Cornish savored his steaming beef pie with sage. Oh, well, he said contentedly. Kind of a relief, I think, to have her gone, said Mrs. Bett, from the fullness of something or other. Mother, Lulu said, twisting her smile. Why, my land, I love her, Mrs. Bett explained, but she wiggles and chitters. Cornish never made the slightest effort at any time to keep a straight face. The honest fellow now laughed loudly. Well, Lulu thought, he can't be so very much in love. And again she thought, he doesn't know anything about the letter. He thinks Ninian got tired of me. Deep in her heart there abode her certainty that this was not so. By some etiquette of consent, Mrs. Bett cleared the table, and Lulu and Cornish went into the parlor. There lay the letter on the drop-leaf side-table among the shelves. Lulu had carried it there, where she need not see it at her work. The letter looked no more than the advertisement of dental office furniture beneath it. Monona stood indifferently, fingering both. "'Monona,' Lulu said sharply, "'leave them be.' Cornish was displaying his music. Got up quite attractive, he said. It was his formula of praise for his music. But we can't try it over, Lulu said, if Di doesn't come. Well, say, said Cornish shyly, you know I left that album of old favorites here. Some of them we know by heart. Lulu looked. 
"'I'll tell you something,' she said. "'There's some of these I can play with one hand by ear. "'Maybe.' "'Why, sure,' said Cornish. "'Lulu sat at the piano. "'She had on the wool chalet, "'long sacred to the nights when she must combine her servant's estate "'with the quality of being Ina's sister. "'She wore her coral beads and her cameo cross.' In her absence she had caught the trick of dressing her hair so that it looked even more abundant, but she had not dared to try it so until to-night when Dwight was gone. Her long wrist was curved high, her thin hand pressed and fingered awkwardly, and at her mistakes her head dipped and strove to make all right. Her foot continuously touched the loud pedal, the blurred sound seemed to accomplish more. So she played How Can I Leave Thee, and they managed to sing it. So she played Long, Long Ago and Little Nell of Narragansett Bay. Beyond open doors Mrs. Bett listened, sang, it may be, with them, for when the singer ceased her voice might be heard still humming a loud closing bar. "'Well,' Cornish cried to Lulu, and then in the formal village phrase, "'You're quite a musician.' "'Oh, no,' Lulu disclaimed it. She looked up, flushed, smiling. "'I've never done this in front of anybody,' she owned. "'I don't know what Dwight and Ina'd say.' She drooped. They rested, and miraculously the air of the place had stirred and quickened, as if the crippled, halting melody had some power of its own, and poured this forth, even thus trampled. "'I guess you could do most anything you set your hand to,' said Cornish. "'Oh, no,' Lulu said again. "'Sing and play and cook.' "'But I can't earn anything.' I'd like to earn something. But this she had not meant to say. She stopped, rather frightened. You would? Why, you have it fine here, I thought. Oh, fine, yes. Dwight gives me what I have, and I do their work. I see, said Cornish. I never thought of that, he added. She caught his speculative look. He had heard a tale or two concerning her return, as who in Warbleton had not heard. "'You're wondering why I didn't stay with him,' Lulu said recklessly. This was no less than wrung from her, but its utterance occasioned in her an unspeakable relief. "'Oh, no,' Cornish disclaimed, and colored and rocked. "'Yes, you are,' she swept on, the whole town's wondering— well, I'd like him to know, but Dwight won't let me tell. Cornish frowned, trying to understand. Won't let you, he repeated. I should say that was your own affair. No, not when Dwight gives me all I have. Oh, that, said Cornish, that's not right. No, but there it is. It puts me, you see what it does to me. They think... They all think my husband left me. It was curious to hear her bring out that word, tentatively, deprecatingly, like someone daring a foreign phrase without warrant. Cornish said feebly, Oh, well. Before she willed it, she was telling him. 
"'He didn't, he didn't leave me,' she cried with passion. "'He had another wife.' Incredibly, it was as if she were defending both him and herself. "'Lord's sake,' said Cornish. She poured it out in her passion to tell someone, to share her news of her state where there would be neither hardness nor censure. "'We were in Savannah, Georgia,' she said. "'We were going to leave for Oregon, going to go through California.' We were in the hotel, and he was going out to get the tickets. He started to go. Then he came back. I was sitting the same as there. He opened the door again, the same as here. I saw he looked different, and he said quick, There's something you'd ought to know before we go. And of course I said, What? And he said it right out how he was married eighteen years ago, and in two years she ran away, and she must be dead, but he wasn't sure. He hadn't the proofs. So of course I came home. But it wasn't him left me. No, no, of course he didn't, Cornish said earnestly. But Lord's sakes, he said again. He rose to walk about, found it impracticable, and sat down. "'That's what Dwight don't want me to tell. "'He thinks it isn't true. "'He thinks he didn't have any other wife. "'He thinks he wanted—' "'Lulu looked up at him. "'You see,' she said, "'Dwight thinks he didn't want me. "'But why don't you make your husband, I mean, "'why doesn't he write to Mr. Deacon here "'and tell him the truth?' Cornish burst out. Under this implied belief she relaxed, and into her face came its rare sweetness. "'He has written,' she said. "'The letter's there.' He followed her look, scowled at the two letters. "'What did he say?' "'Dwight don't like me to touch his mail. I'll have to wait till he comes back.' "'Lord's sake,' said Cornish. This time he did rise and walk about. He wanted to say something, wanted it with passion. He paused beside Lulu and stammered, "'You, you, you're too nice a girl to get a deal like this. Darned if you aren't.' To her own complete surprise, Lulu's eyes filled with tears, and she could not speak. She was by no means above self-sympathy. "'And there ain't,' said Cornish sorrowfully, "'there ain't a thing I can do.' and yet he was doing much. He was gentle, he was listening, and on his face a frown of concern. His face continually surprised her. It was so fine and alive and near, by comparison with Ninian's loose-lipped, ruddy, impersonal look, and Dwight's thin, high-boned hardness. All the time Cornish gave her something instead of drawing upon her. Above all, he was there, and she could talk to him. "'It's it's funny,' Lulu said. "'I'd be awful glad if I just could know for sure that the other woman was alive, if I couldn't know she's dead.' This surprising admission Cornish seemed to understand. "'Sure you would,' he said briefly. "'Cora Waters,' Lulu said. "'Cora Waters of San Diego, California,' "'And she never heard of me.' "'No,' Cornish admitted. "'They stared at each other as across some abyss. "'In the doorway Mrs. Bett appeared. 
"'I scraped up everything,' she remarked, and left the dishes set. "'That's right, Mamma," Lulu said. "'Come and sit down.' Mrs. Bett entered with a leisurely air of doing the thing next expected of her. "'I don't hear any more playin' and singin,' she remarked. "'It sounded real nice.' "'We—' "'We sung all I knew how to play, I guess, Mamma. "'I used to play on the melodeon,' Mrs. Bett volunteered, "'and spread and examined her right hand. "'Well,' said Cornish. "'She now told them about her log house in a New England clearing "'when she was a bride. "'All her store of drama and life came from her. "'She rehearsed it with far eyes. "'She laughed at old delights.' drooped at old fears. She told about her little daughter who had died at sixteen, a tragedy such as once would have been renewed in a vital ballad. At the end she yawned frankly, as if, in some terrible sophistication, she had been telling the story of someone else. "'Give us one more piece,' she said. "'Can we?' Cornish asked. "'I can play, I think, when I read that sweet story of old,' Lulu said. "'That's the ticket,' cried Cornish. "'They sang it to Lulu's right hand. "'That's the one you picked out when you was a little girl, Lulu,' cried Mrs. Bett. "'Lulu had played it now as she must have played it then. "'Half after nine, and Di had not returned, but nobody thought of Di. "'Cornish rose to go.' "'What's them?' Mrs. Bett demanded. "'Dwight's letters, Mamma. You mustn't touch them.' Lulu's voice was sharp. "'Say,' Cornish at the door dropped his voice, "'if there was anything I could do at any time, you'd let me know, wouldn't you?' That past tense, those subjunctives, unconsciously called upon her to feel no intrusion. "'Oh, thank you,' she said. "'You don't know how good it is to feel—' "'Of course it is,' said Cornish heartily. "'They stood for a moment on the porch. "'The night was one of low clamour from the grass, "'tiny voices insisting. "'Of course,' said Lulu, "'of course you won't, you wouldn't.' "'Say anything,' he divined. "'Not for dollars. "'Not,' he repeated, "'for dollars.' "'But I knew you wouldn't,' she told him. He took her hand. "'Good night,' he said. "'I've had an awful nice time singing and listening to you talk. "'Well, of course, I mean,' he cried, "'the supper was just fine, and so was the music.' "'Oh, no,' she said. Mrs. Bett came into the hall. "'Luli,' she said, "'I guess you didn't notice. "'This one's from Ninian.' "'Mother, I opened it. "'Why, of course I did. "'It's from Ninian.' Mrs. Bett held out the opened envelope, the unfolded letter, and a yellowed newspaper clipping. "'See,' said the old woman, "'says Corey Waters, music-hall singer, married last night to Ninian Deacon. "'Say, Luli, that must be her.' Lulu threw out her hands. "'There!' she cried triumphantly. "'He was married to her, just like he said.' End of chapter 6, part 2